The reading is from Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Thank you very much. Now, um, Lewis, we get to uh, ask the children to head off. Uh, and uh, that is a seat spare for um, Gary. It is wonderful to have new faces here. And uh, they're going to learn what we're learning behind the screen. But I think you probably find it better to stay here uh, if you're older and we might even learn a bit more. So let's see how we go. Okay, just while they're going, to say to those who are new, we always try, after we explain the Bible, to see if we've done a good job and therefore invite people to ask questions if they would like to or say anything. So we'll be doing that after this little talk now. And to get into it, it might be just worth asking, what is the most common trap for a Christian to fall into? I'm talking about the most common trap that I fall into more than any other. And in case you're trying to guess and you can't, let me uh, explain. The most common trap that a Christian should fall into is to become a Christian Pharisee. Maybe you've not heard of Pharisees before, so maybe I want to explain that these are the ones who put on a good outward show of being God's good guys. But inside... It's a massive, selfish grab for attention. So if you look at uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 43, at the top of page 1044, on the top left-hand side, 
it says, woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue, the respectful greetings in the marketplace. In other words, you love people to look at you and to admire you. And Jesus said the trouble with doing that is just flip over the page to verse 39. It looks like this, that the outside of the cup is nice and shiny, but inside you couldn't get more dirty. Verse 39, the Lord said, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And that's contagious, Jesus says. Be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees, because you know yeast, it spreads. Starts small, gets everywhere. And that way of thinking can happen in Christian circles as well. So we've seen that the uh, Pharisees who were the heroes have been put down by Jesus. No one's looking up to them anymore. So they're looking for new spiritual role models. Guess who might take that place? The Christian equivalent. The crowds are gathering in uh, verse 1. And it could be that uh, that's the trap for these disciples. To now take the place of the Pharisees. To be the new role models. And to get everybody looking up to them. And the trouble with that is it can lead to a split personality, a divide between how you are in private and how you are on show when everybody's watching. And you can be two different people when it gets like that. So I can say stuff in public and uh, I'm very different uh, when it's uh, private. Look at verses 2 and 3. Jesus be says, be careful that you think that what you do in private can be hidden. Uh, there will come a day when everybody will find out. Uh, we've seen that, haven't we, with amazing uh, cases that no one ever thought that Rolf Harris would get caught and suddenly all the private stuff is now in the newspapers. There isn't a person in the country that doesn't know what went on. And it's always a danger when we are two different people in two different settings. I didn't know whether you um, remember the last election. Mr. Gordon Brown was the Prime Minister. He isn't the Prime Minister. Not because people compared him with Mr. Blair and didn't think he was so good. Nor ultimately because Mr. Cameron beat him because it was pretty close. But I think the reason that he lost, what made a difference, was Mrs. Duffy. Remember Mrs. Duffy? Mrs. Duffy was uh, uh, grand in Rochester. She asked Gordon Brown some really searching questions, and he said, these are really good questions. You are such a good person for asking them. You come from such a good family. Then he got into his car and he forgot that the microphone was still on. <laughs> And into the microphone, Mr. Brown said, what a bigoted woman. And he didn't realize. Until the next day, he was in a recording studio in the BBC, 
and they played him his recorder. And they showed a picture of him with his head in his hands. He realized it was all over. And Jesus says, the only way to be the same person wherever you are is to believe that what you say won't be just covered by the BBC, it'll be covered by world service. If you look at uh, verse 3, what is said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the, air, in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roof. So there will come a day when you will know what I really thought about you. <laughs> so therefore, well, being two-faced, being two-faced will be embarrassing. So, if we're constantly loving in the way that we handle each other, even when we're in private, then it's going to be such joy when it all comes out. That's actually the way we were. And one of the great joys of following Jesus is to lose the disconnect, to stop being two people, and to start being one person everywhere. But the key to being like that is not just to say nice things behind people's backs so that they will like you, when they find out what he said, because that is still to please other people. Now, the key is to please just one person, which is God himself. And I want to say to myself three things about this that might be helpful to you as well. First, fear the Father. Look at verse 5. And it sounds threatening. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus says there are two types of fear that you can have. Uh, fear of people, in verse 4, fearing those who can kill the body. And then the other type of fear is verse 5, to fear God. Now, fearing people is actually a horrible thing because you give them the power to have authority over you. They start calling the shots if you live by their <coughs> approval. You become their slave. And it's a horrible way to live. I look down out of my window when I'm working and I see uh, various people go past and invariably the girls have got a mirror in their hands and they're sort of putting the last minute bit of makeup on. Even while they're walking the street, they sort of stare at the car windows to see whether everything's in place. And it's a horrible fear because you can't move without being worried about what other people are going to think about you when they see you. It's a horrible slavery. And you go to the council and you say, how can I be like this? And the council will say, just tell yourself three times a day to be yourself. But actually, that kind of advice doesn't work. There's only one way to come away from the, the slavery of fearing what other people think. And that is 
to fear something else. And when you fear something else, make sure that something else you fear is greater than people. And there's only one greater than people, which is God himself. And he is greater because in the end, everyone else is powerless. It's very scary to think of, uh, well, being killed by somebody. No one wants that to happen. But think it through. You will die. There's nothing that anyone can do to you that's not going to happen one day. And therefore, it's important to care about the one opinion that can make a difference after you die and you meet God himself. And his decision about heaven and hell will reflect our desire to live to please him. So ultimately, our desire, whether we want to live to please God or not, will show whether we're wanting to live in heaven, where we will be in his presence all the time, or whether we want to live in hell, which is where he is controlling us, except he is ruler over there as well. So it is important to fear the Father, he is greater, and his verdict for heaven and hell will reflect our desire whether we want to live in his presence, willingly submitting to him or not. And it is a wonderful thing to do that, to cut down the number of eyes that I've got to please to just one pair of eyes. So I just live to please him, not the crowd. Fear the Father. But secondly, live for the Son. Fearing God for his eternal well done is something that we don't do whilst kind of cowering away from getting beaten up by God. No, we fear God fully joyful, fully confident that we are very, very special to him. And it is the Lord Jesus who shows us better than anyone how special we are to God. So he talks about uh, sparrows. The cheapest on the market. The poorest person could afford sparrows. One sparrow, completely worthless. You've got to have five. And even then they're worth next to nothing, Jesus says. But God puts an eternal value on sparrows. It says he remembers them. Now when God remembers something, he remembers something forever. Just imagine the greatness of God that he can remember a sparrow forever. Isn't that mind-boggling? Isn't that absolutely great that there is a God like that? And then he goes on to say that uh, uh, you will never be forgotten. You're worth more than many sparrows. And in fact, he then goes on to say uh, that actually... Uh, 
his care of you is so detailed, he knows more about you than you know about yourself. Even the hair on your head is numbered. I can't count up the number of hairs on my eyebrows. But from now on, it means every time I go to the barbers and I see all the hair that they're sweeping away after they've uh, shorn me, I can say, God knows how many are there, how many is left. That is the abounding confidence of God and His love that uh, He should uh, care about me so much that these details are important to Him. No one else will think so much about me. Why do I want to live for them? And then, of course, Jesus gave his life to make us eternal, eternally valuable to God. So unlike sparrows that are remembered by God forever, the Lord Jesus makes sure that we are resurrected to live in front of God forever. That is the extent of his care. But look, it gets even better. Because what Jesus says is not just that you matter so much to him, but he goes on to say that actually uh, uh, the fact that you matter, or that he matters to you, is really important as well. So he says, look, anything that you say against uh, the Son of Man, I'm okay with that. Just don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And he wants to commend you to the angels in verse 8. Whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. Uh, your understanding of him matters so much to him that he... He talks to angels about our faithfulness. Staggering, isn't it? It happened like that with Job. God said, have you considered my servant Job? God loves to commend his people. He loves to commend you for being faithful to him. And, and if you speak a word against Jesus, even that can be forgiven, he says. Peter denied him. And you and I will. But don't sin against the Holy Spirit. Now I take it that what Jesus is talking about is in his lifetime, and it's only a short temporary lifespan with his disciples, if we get him wrong there, that can be forgiven. But the Holy Spirit is there to do a lasting work, to show us who Jesus is, to convict us inside when we get Jesus wrong. <coughs> and so, when it says that we blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, it's really saying, hey, we're not listening to the Holy Spirit. Tell us the truth about Jesus. If we listen to the Holy Spirit telling us, convicting us that we just denied Jesus, then we can be forgiven because we can then say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. But if I don't listen to the Holy Spirit telling me that I've got it wrong about Jesus, I'm not going to go to Jesus for his forgiveness. And there'll be no forgiveness if I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. 
because I won't go to the only one who can forgive me. So it is a wonderful thing to understand that uh, the Lord Jesus um, uh, is so concerned about us and that our faithfulness to him really matters to him. So isn't tonight a great time to draw a line under the times that we've been embarrassed by Jesus to make his glory the new obsession in our lives? Love the Son. And then lastly, trust the Spirit. You see in verse 11 how you can get into trouble for being a Christian. When you're brought before the synagogues, rules, authorities, don't worry about how you will defend yourself. Now, do notice that Jesus is telling his disciples that they will get into trouble for following him. Okay? I know that in African Christianity and in other kinds of Christianity around, we get the impression that if you follow Jesus, everything is going to be great. You'll be prosperous. What Jesus is saying is actually you could lose everything when you are arrested and your property is taken off you and you're brought in front of the rulers with nothing to your name. And as far as I know, verse 11 was true for the people who heard because 11 out of the 12 disciples were killed. Now, how will you and me stay faithful when there's that danger? Where Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will help us. Why? Because when it comes down to it, the Holy Spirit replaces our fear of what will happen to us, so we then don't try and defend ourselves because that fear is gone. All that remains is a passionate desire to commend the Lord Jesus rather than to speak out to let ourselves off the hook. So we begin instead to make Jesus glorious. When they ask us the questions about what we think of Jesus, we reply with words the Holy Spirit has given to us because he brings to mind all that Jesus has said. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's big job is to make Jesus so great. And in the courtroom, the one thing we want to do when the Holy Spirit fills us is to make Jesus look so great. The fear is gone. We're not to worry about giving answers to defend ourselves. The Holy Spirit has told us how to put Jesus on the front burner instead. So what does that mean to us? Well, I'm a bit worried because personally I'm a coward. I'm jelly when it comes to think about suffering for the gospel. I can guarantee you that I'm likely to wimp out. So it's a big encouragement to me to know that when the Holy Spirit is with me in those times, talking up Jesus is going to be more important than saving my own skin. Peter denied Jesus, but later, when he was on trial, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and people say that he was crucified only upside down because he didn't want to be crucified the right way up like his master. He said he wasn't worthy. 
Now that courage is there because he wanted to show how great Jesus was on the day that he was on trial. And you might just think, okay, well, we've looked at this part of the Bible. What does that mean for us here in church today? I think if you're new, then it's really helpful to come in and to see a slavery identified that we may not have been aware of. The slavery of living to please others. It will split us in half. There'd be a public side, there'd be a private side in all our relationship. Is it brilliant to have freedom to cut down all the eyes that we want to impress down to just one pair of eyes? The freedom of living just for God's approval. It's a wonderful freedom to have if you're thinking about Christian things at the, the early stages. But if you're used to church, then can you see the danger of us wanting to please God in what we say, but really we want to impress others in our Christian family. And when people speak highly about us and the things that we're doing, we're chuffed, and if no one notices, then we begin to uh, feel gutted. We need to take uh, stock, don't we, of how much we matter to God, what His great love for us is like. And then what happens is the crowds will fade and we're just left simply grateful to Him for the way that He loves us more than the tiniest bits of creation that He'll remember forever and yet we're so much more important. How His care over us is so detailed and how his love for us is eternal. And if you're a disciple and you want to lose your fear of being killed for the gospel, and I think there's a background to that in all of us. I know it's unlikely to happen to us in England, but in other parts of the world this is a real danger, and it may change for us over here as well. And we're wondering, how will we cope on that day? Well, Jesus says on that day, the fear of defending yourself will be taken from you and the joy of speaking of Jesus will fill your heart. And you say, oh my, that sounds brilliant in theory. Does it really work like that? My friends, just think about where the gospel is today. It's spread right across the world. How do you get to be like that? It's because all the early Christians were taken into court. And exactly what Jesus said would happen would happen. And the wonderful truth about Jesus was made known even in the courtroom. So don't be frightened about what will happen if that's you. Maybe that's the day that you will speak the best words of your life to glorify Him. I'll stop there and uh, we'll take any questions or thoughts that people might have and um, 